It was something out of a fable. I had never travelled to the Underdark before, so I didn't truly know what to expect. My guide, Mr. Stonebeard, was the expert. Called himself a gloomstalker or some such nonsense. Something from a dwarven tradition, I assume. But there we were, two miles down, trudging through the darkness, when something fell down from the roof of the cave and sucked the damned life out of Miss Dancing Jam, our gnome demolitions expert. It was a floating pool of impenetrable darkness that came down and stole the breath right out of her lungs. I know I'm prone to the dramatic, but this was the dramatic. She was there one minute, enveloped by darkness the next, and then dead on the cave floor the next, as the swath of moving darkness fluttered away. Bloody horrifying. There was nothing I could do except pick up her pack, empty her pockets, and carry on. We never managed to get close during our expedition, and if I was to get close to a number hall for further study, I'd need the explosives that she had brought along. Besides, Mr. Stonebeard didn't seem too bothered by the affair. A hazard of the job, he called it. An excerpt from the personal journals of Professor Lionel Ducamp, Neverwinter's foremost expert on the ecology of the Umberhulk, written during his inaugural expedition to the Underdark. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Encounter This. My name is Freeman Shargoss Eisten, and today, my good friend and co-host, we're bringing us through another creature. His, he is, of course, known as James Hangtight Kid, obviously, and this creature will be the Dark Mantle. Two words put together. Does, does that count as a portmanteau? No, it's got to be like... Two words smashed together, doesn't it? <laughs> For Portmanteau. <laughs> but Dark Mantle, page 46 of the Monster Manual. Take it away. Yeah. No, wait. No, take it away. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, this does not count as a portmanteau because neither word loses a letter, like brunch. If it was Darantle, it would be a portmanteau. <laughs> or Dantle. Yes, that would be a portmanteau. <laughs> uh, this is just a compound word. Okay, compound uh, compound word. That's I haven't heard that phrase in a while. Compound word that's that's become a noun. So I, mm-hmm. I I don't know if it was a noun first or what have you, but uh, in the Forgotten Realms they are known as the Dark Mantle. Okay, tell me about them. Yeah, I, I don't I don't feel like I know anything about them. There's not a lot to know. They're fun. I like them. I think they're really neat mm-hmm. creatures. We're gonna start this episode with a quote from the Monster Manual. This is by. Ethelredred, <laughs> Ethelred, <laughs> Ethelred the fighter. It, after his insert first, shitty fantasy name here. <laughs> yeah, uh, after his first encounter with a dark mantle, and it's just remind me again why we're on this quest. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they come from uh, third, fourth, and fifth edition. They're they're a little bit older. They're like these octopi subterranean creatures with a limestone-colored skin and a stony dorsal shell. 
uh, I've sent you some artwork there, and you can kind of see in uh, the fifth edition artwork and the third edition artwork specifically that they've got like these um, this thick membrane, especially in the third edition that stretches down between the tentacles, about two thirds of the way down. Oh yeah. And then in the fifth edition artwork, you can really see that they their tentacles are covered in these teeth like hooks and uh, like the suckers of an octopus, which are these uh, sensory organs that allow them to taste, smell, or even hear. Yeah. It's like an octopus made it with an umbrella. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. I mean, that's not... It looks cool. That, that, that's not an unapt comparison. Yeah. <laughs> also, Cthulhu. <laughs> Somehow mixed in. Yeah, very much. Um, underneath all of that, they have this lamprey-like mouth. So it's a it's a completely circular mouth with rows upon rows of um, interior teeth. Mm. Really, really horrifying. I didn't want to send a picture of it because I didn't want to look it up. Lampreys give me nightmares. <laughs> yeah, they are awful. Uh, Google at your own risk, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and they are, a, on average, about 10 kilos or 30 pounds. So they're not light. Okay. And they range to about maximum, about one meter long or four feet long for those of us who use that measuring system. <laughs> and they do not have any bones whatsoever, but they do have um, what's known as a statocyst, which is an organ used for balance by mollusks. Uh, and it can be used for things like hearing and stuff like that. And we'll okay. throw this up on the Instagram, but there is a photo of the anatomy of a dark mantle. Oh, Cool. Yeah, and that's from the Ecology of Monsters, uh, which if I can find, I will also throw up there. Well, that's pretty neat. Now, you say it's got no bones, but it's got teeth? Uh, it's tentacles? How, how does that work? <laughs> well, teeth aren't a bone. They're cartilage. Is it? I thought they were. I thought teeth were a bone. Quick, Google it. <laughs> Our teeth bone. <laughs> Our teeth made of bone. Even though teeth and bones seem very similar, they're actually different. Teeth are not bone. Oh, holy shit. That's uh, news to me. I like it. Learn something new every day. That's one of the main premises of this entire show. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. So there goes my first attempt to see through the inconsistencies, and I have failed. <laughs> All right. Uh, so not bones. Not Statusist. bones. Status is organ for balance. Okay, I'm following you. Okay. Yep. What else you got? Uh, there and larger versions, um, according to previous editions of D and D, are called envelopers. They're not called dark mantles. So, like dark mantles mm -hmm. are the really tiny ones. If they grow to be any larger, they will become what's known as an enveloper, which is kind of terrifying in its own sense, given its shape. You don't want to be like totally surrounded by that. And that's that's kind of their whole deal. But uh, before okay. we get there, these creatures, they're about as smart as a dog. So, you know, there, there's a there's a serious level of intelligence there, all things considering. Mm -hmm. Dogs are pretty, yep. pretty clever. Um, and they can be found in packs similar to canines, but their packs are known as clutches or swarms, mm -hmm. which is never a good sign. <laughs> uh, they can, quote unquote, see in natural darkness, but all of their eyes are vestigial and they use echolocation, which is uh, another reason why they have the status of Oh, okay. Because I did note, like, uh, like every, oh, there's like an eye for like every tentacle, essentially, all around yeah. the top on those both those pieces of art. A lot but of eyes. They look much more vestigial in in the five E art. Yeah. If you zoom in on the three E one, they're like they're red eyeballs. 
but yeah, the the, the A five either very clear. Just like these sort of white balls. They're really neat. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And they can slither like an octopus, oh. which I don't know if you've ever seen an octopus walk on land, but yeah. it's, it's fucking horrifying. It is gnarly. <laughs> they also have magical flight using a propulsion method like an octopus, which is pretty neat, actually. Um, I don't, hmm. I'm sure most people out there have seen an octopus swim, but essentially what they do is they, they take all of their tentacles, spread them all the way out, and then compress them really quickly. Yeah. That's what propels them forward. Just create like a jet almost, eh? And yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they, so they this. these things can do this in the air. Yeah. Wild. And they can disguise themselves like a stalactite with their head pointing down. And the reason I can remember mm. that is because uh, stalactites hang tight. Oh, <laughs> I always remember it because stalactite has a C and C stands also stands for ceiling. It's not a very good mnemonic device, but that's what I've done. And then stalactite, G means ground. Okay. Go team. Uh, and there <laughs> is a photo of them camouflaging into the uh, the caves. Uh, another piece oh, of art from the ecology. Oh, yeah. Cool. Man, those ecology books were awesome. Uh, that's cool. So, I, it's, I, of course, my brain right away was like, oh, these are some water creatures. And then you tell me they can fly, and now they hang like stalactites. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is not what I thought at all. Yeah, so these are underdark creatures that hang on cavern ceilings and wait for other creatures to pass. Mm. When somebody passes below them, they will drop, unfurl that um, like cloaked tentacleness in a magical darkness, which they can produce before clutching their prey. So like this stalactite falls, emanates magical darkness, and then just tries to suffocate you. Crazy. Yeah, and if it misses, it'll just propel itself back up to the ceiling to try again later. There's one other creature that does this, or two, two, but they're related. Piercer and the Roper. Yeah. Uh, we haven't covered them, but uh, I always remember them as being a terrifying underground thing. I had no idea the Dark Mantle was doing the same thing, or a similar thing anyway. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so they're um, they're actually thought to be relatives of the Roper. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and other people believe um, they evolved from the Piercer. Gotcha. Uh, and they can survive for about seven days between feedings, which is, you know, quite a long time, but not that long for creatures in the Underdark. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they are hermaphroditic, and they mate in pairs, laying a clutch of six to eight eggs. Okay. The eggs are about chicken-sized, but they can easily camouflage into rocks. Mm. Which, And then after about a 10-day, which is in the Forgotten Realms, a week uh, is called the 10-day because it consists of 10 days. Uh, they hatch into these uh, one-inch-long black grubs with these really, really long tongues. And then after seven days, the tongue lengthens further on these grubs, splits, and that becomes the tentacles. And that's how they oh. they kind of go from this larval stage into uh, dark mantles. Right. Crazy. Okay, that makes sense because then the mouth's, the mouth's kind of in the center. And yeah, oof, ugh, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they don't require sleep, but they can hibernate if they feel the need. So if, you know, they're in a cave, that's not seeing much action. They can just call it a night, essentially. That that sort of makes sense, because you said, like, the seven the seven days is not a, not a long time for the Underdark, because surely food is quite scarce in general by comparison to, like, a, a woodland, right? But yeah. if they can hibernate and conserve their energy, surely that extends quite a bit longer. Yeah. And they also appear in Pathfinder, but they're quite a bit different. So the instead oh, of being yeah. on the inside, the lamprey-like mouth is is on the outside. Oh. So they extend their tentacle flaps, and that kind of acts as like a parachute while the point opens up into their mouth. 
Oh, crazy. Because they're uh, creatures of the Underdark and Abominations, they are favorite creatures of Shargas, uh, one of the gods of the orcs, which we touched upon mm. in our I last I recognize the name, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, Ganador, which is a drow god of Abominations. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So they reside in the Shadowfell and a part of the Underdark called the Upper Dark, which is... Uh, everything that ranges from zero to about 4.83 kilometers deep or about three miles down. So anything between ground level and three miles down is is actually known as the upper dark. Okay. Even though it's like a subdivision of the underdark. Mm-hmm. The upper part of the under. Yep. <laughs> uh, and they are sometimes kept as pets, specifically by the Shatterkai, which we will touch on in an upcoming suite uh, to be determined. Oh, yeah. Okay. Shadarkai. Yeah, scholars believe that they evolved or that they originated from the Shadowfell, but they're like I said earlier, there's a lot of evidence in the Forgotten Realms at least that they evolved from piercers. Right. And that's it for the D D lore. Uh well, okay, so I got one fun fact here. Um their eyes can be used as a material spell, uh material component for the darkness spell, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that is neat. But other than that, that's that's it for the D D stuff, man. It's uh they're not complicated. They're just neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I guess it's going to be all stat block at this point, eh? They're they're creepy. They're neat. They got a little camouflage action. Nice little little tidbits of ecology, but uh, yeah. Uh, as far as cultural lore goes, they're legit. Just a cave octopus. There's a cave octopus. Yeah, I mean they're I mean they're the octopus of the cave. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool octopus danger. Um, their mouths are substantially less horrifying than an octopus mouth, but... Really? I think the octopus mouth is... The beak is more terrifying than the lamprey mouth? Well, this is. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> Please post that on that Instagram. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is unsettling. Yeah. Unless there's it's a picture of an octopus, but someone has cropped in a human teeth and lips on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> they are um, not great. It's it's no. not great. It is, uh, <laughs> if I put it on the Instagram, it's going to come with a big old caveat. Like, can you block out <laughs> images? Like, can you make them NSFW? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> okay, I don't gonna, think so. <laughs> probably not going to put it on Instagram then. <laughs> Uh, if, you're, if you're a subscriber of Patreon, you can see it in the show notes. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, and that's that's it for the Dark Missile. <laughs> Sweet call through a lore segment. <laughs> Amazing. Well, uh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I don't have anything to say. I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all stat block here, I guess. Hopefully yep. it's not disappointing. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Okay. I'm a torn. I'm kind of wondering, is it an aberration or is it a monstrosity? I can't really quite tell. Oh, right. Yeah, I I think it makes sense. Yeah. I kind of want to say aberration only because I know, like, there's, like, this, I think, loosely held possibility that, like, octopi, octopuses, sorry, uh, are um, uh, possibly, like, uh, ha- came from an organism that, like, you know, landed on Earth. There's, like, this alien idea that's out there because uh, not that, that an octopus landed on earth, but like whatever organism it sprout from or evolved from uh, is, um, is to have maybe come from some uh, somewhere other than earth because, because of how unbelievably different they are from anything around them. 
something like that. It's probably a loosey-goosey conspiracy theory, but uh, it just always makes you think octopus, alien, aberration. Fair enough. Um, have you ever read any Adrian Tchaikovsky? I have not. <laughs> okay, so he wrote this these two books so far uh, called The Children of Time series. The first one is The Children of Time. The second one is The Children of Ruin. And it's where octopuses in space actually evolve into ver- something very similar to that. It's They're really oh. cool books. Cool. I'm all about it. Highly recommend. Uh, this week's episode brought to you by Audible. No, that's a joke. Uh, definitely <laughs> not, not brought to you by Audible. But if it was, yeah. this would be a great Jane- time to su- suggest The Children of Ruin, which is a fantastic <laughs> uh, sequel to Children of Time. And it's it's a great, great audiobook. I loved it. Uh, right. Which actually does bring us to our ad break where we should thank Strange Fellows for the darkness that they bring to our lives. <laughs> One could say they envelop our lives. Oh, I like it. <laughs> In particular, like it. our livers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, was that my first semi-okay segue? It was fantastic. I would, I would go so far <laughs> as to say if we had a mantle, we would put it up there. <laughs> oh, but knowing me, I don't know anything about lighting. It would be poorly lit and therefore dark. We would, we would in fact have a dark mantle. <laughs> we're sorry strange fellows we're normally better than this it's been a long day of recording yeah we've we've, we've done a lot of recording today yeah hour uh, seven or something like that yeah all right mm, all right mechanics sick cr one half hp oh. 11 ac 11 wow. small monstrosity small. Monstrosity. Okay, monstrosity makes sense. Again, I think we've just—it's been probably been a while, but I always imagine monstrosities as like genuine beasts, but have been twisted by magic to a point where they're not like natural beasts anymore. Um, so that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. All right, they are unaligned, which makes all of the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. They don't speak any languages. They have a land speed of 10 feet uh, to reflect the slithering and a fly speed of 30 feet to affect, uh, to reflect that, that they're gliding. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, no sight, but they do have blind sense. Or blind sight, 60 feet. Blind sight, 60 feet, echolocation. Yep. Makes sense. Although, I imagine if you manage to deafen one. Yep. Uh, that's actually the... F- First ability is echolocation. Oh, is yeah, I'll and it, they cannot use blind sight while deafened. Is the yeah. <laughs> is the, the only line in that that ability? Yeah, you can hire me anytime. Wizards nailed it. <laughs> uh, second ability is false appearance. When motionless, they are indistinguishable from a cave formation, be it a stalactite or a stalagmite. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. They have cool. Uh, a couple of well one real attack here and it's called crush so it's a five foot reach plus five to hit 1d6 plus three bludgeoning if the target is a medium or smaller the dark mantle has advantage on this attack oh okay uh it then attaches to the creature's head and the target is blind and unable to breathe the dark mantle can no longer attack any other creature and its speed is zero though it can detach by moving five feet and it is a dc 13 strength check to remove said dark mantle from your face parts right they just they, this is just how that works it's not this has nothing to do with them dropping from the ceiling that would be like the inciting incident of the um encounter right like because of their false appearance you wouldn't notice them regardless of whatever mm-hmm. perception check you made so the encounter would start a surprise first round the dark mantle would just let go 
fall onto you and then attempt to crush. Right. Which is a but, melee attack. Huh. I feel like that's already a, something I'm not a fan of. Like, I feel like the dropping almost should be a separate thing from the crush. Because by that reading, it's they just, regardless of the dropping and the surprise, they're just getting advantage on the attack if you're medium or smaller. Like, now they're even down. You're not surprised anymore and they're still getting advantage? I think the crush is the, the like, so the surprise round starts and the movement is the, the release or grapple on the, the ceiling. And mm-hmm. then the action is the crush attack. So, like, the, it's it's a two two thing. Twofer. Right. I'm following on that, I just, like, I don't see how this adds up when they're no longer on the ceiling and coming down on top of you. How does the crush still operate the exact same way? Because that's all they have for an attack, eh? Yeah, that's it. That that's, seems sloppy. <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you mean. Like, the second You know what round, I mean? Like, if it's already on yeah. you. Yeah. Um, or it, it, or it missed you, right? Or, well, if it miss you, it, the the theory is it just flies away and and goes back up and waits for another attack. Um, okay, all right, you're, you're sort of selling me. <laughs> well, I mean, so they have one other attack, which is not actually an attack, and it's a darkness aura. So once per day, they can radiate fifteen foot of magical darkness that moves with it. So the idea is, you know, it activates the darkness aura, drops mm-hmm. from the ceiling attempts to crush you if it misses it just floats away it's still in this magical darkness and reattaches the ceiling waits for the next member of the party to walk by right okay yeah magical darkness dark vision cannot penetrate natural light doesn't illuminate and dispels light of spells of second level or lower which is actually pretty hardcore for a darkness spell yeah Um, and it's concentration unfortunately but up to 10 minutes right hmm yeah i feel like um I guess maybe it's Pathfinder in my head here, getting too complicated with it. But um, I feel like, you know, Crush should be separate from, like, an attack that it can do. It should have, I think, an, a, a way to sort of come at you from the ground and that be separate from the drop of the ceiling. But I, I, that might be just, like, overthinking it. I just find it weird that no matter what, it's got advantage on attack if you're medium or smaller, no matter what. That's that's just it. And it's like, why why isn't it like as long as it's in darkness and uh, the, as long as the darkest aura is enveloping its target or itself and um, the echo location is not not canceled out and they're not deafened and then they have advantage in the, when they're coming down or something like that. Like, it just seems like they just tried to roll everything into one attack for simplicity's sake and then just don't buy it and t- like you're right i get it. like we drop down fly off false appearance rinse repeat it's got 10 minutes to do that with the darkness aura it's still going to be pretty pretty uh gnarly to deal with in that regard but i just don't buy that uh they have this advantage built into one attack no matter where they're at yeah i i understand what you're saying i almost wonder if they try to avoid giving it something too similar to the roper or the piercer from that drop down uh, you're you're probably right there. Also, this is like a CR one half creature. Like one mm-hmm. hit from a first level creature is going to essentially end this thing. Right. Yeah. Low, very low HP. Yeah. I, I did make a mistake there. It looks like it has twenty two HP, not eleven. Oh, okay. Um, but still, still goes down pretty quick. Yeah. And I guess you're I guess you're likely to use a couple of these at the same time as well. Yeah. And I mean, if it if it doesn't attach you like that's kind of its whole thing like if it if it mm-hmm. doesn't get you you're it's done like that's right. that's the whole premise behind these creatures is it's mm-hmm. got one shot um and if, if it misses then it just flies away and 
you know, absorbs back into the cave or the resets. Yeah. 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 And you can have multiple of these and really like start to put the fear into your players. You know, they're in the den, they're dark. It's really dark. And like, even they're, they, they've got their torches out and even their torches, like seem to snuff out for a sec as something tries to dive on them. And then all of a sudden the darkness like follows the creature away and, and the light comes back and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah. you know, being unable to breathe with a very low con is not great, even in D&D 5e. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, true enough. So, like, that's... The suffocation rules are pretty... As far as the rules go in D&D, they're, they're pretty unforgiving. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the last time I really looked at them. Probably the last time I ran into the gelatinous cube. <laughs> the rules as written is it's one plus its constitution modifier number of minutes, but when it runs out of breath or it's choking, it can survive for number rounds equal to its constitution... Sorry, constitution modifier. Gotcha. I'll normally only use that first line in play if like it's something like swimming, like you know it's happening. You know, yeah. like you're you're diving into a lake or what have you. But like if yeah. this creature falls on you, you didn't have time to catch your breath, it's you have a number yeah. of rounds equal to your con modifier. Yeah. I take that actually. That's I think that's a cool, cool approach. You know, you you're caught uh, by surprise. You're more likely to gasp and let some air out, mm-hmm. and then maybe have a tiny fraction of a of a second to like pull a little bit more back in. If once you once or if you realize what's going on, yeah, I like that. <laughs> My most satisfying part of this creature <laughs> is your homebrew idea around <laughs> around holding your breath. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the creature. Uh, I think it's a really cool funny. idea. I, I agree yeah. with you. The, the execution is a little flawed. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that I don't know how to make the execution better. Like maybe give yeah. it a piercing tentacle attack. Like bam, bam, like 2d4. It hits you with these um, toothed tentacles. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that would even be maybe too much uh, for a one half. You know, I, I would genuinely be happy with like a tentacle attack, just like a 1d4 and like call right. it a day kind of thing. Because um, it does have the plus three going on as well. Yeah, just a little something that's that feels separate from so that it can kind of defend itself. It does manage to get stuck. It can still manage to sort of off offense and defend itself a little bit rather than have having to swoop around every time and, and make it seem realistic or un, uh, understandable. Yeah, but I, I guess I don't hate it. But I'm just like I don't, I, I'm unenthused. If anything, I'm just imagining how to like put those into play. Like I said, like make a kind of a creepy. Uh, terrifying scene where everyone feels like they're in a lot of danger, but uh, the danger is not not quite as real. Uh, it's just yeah. that that sense uh, sense of urgency. I feel like anything lower than CR one is um, it's like an intro creature. Like this is right, like the Fisher Price D and D creatures. Like and and for that, like for a party who's never played before or who doesn't really know what's happening, this could be a horrifying. And again, not all encounters need to be like a rough and tumble end of the day, you know, take one party member down uh, mm-hmm. encounter. I think this is a really great, like warm up encounter. Like, yeah, you know, you have your straightforward fight with a couple of goblins or whatever, but then you have this fight where it just comes out of nowhere. You have no idea what to do. One of your players is all of a sudden shrouded in this magical darkness. You can't find them and they're suffocating. Yeah. Like, I think it's a really, I think this kind of creature thematically is, you know, it's fine. But like, like experience wise at the table, I think this could be a lot of fun for brand new players to just try and wrestle with this kind of an encounter because it is a very mm-hmm. unique encounter, and that's I think that's why I like it. I like the idea of like the players 
setting in a sense of danger and um and and uh, fear early on for anything attached to the ceiling. <laughs> You know, like just make them fear every stalactite above their heads, right? Uh, and then, and then you can get the piercer and roper in there. Honestly, I think I'm going to do piercer and roper next because nice. I want to explore that more <laughs> now that we're talking about it. Yeah, I think that would be a cool, a cool way to get them started on these one half creatures, and then maybe up the ante with with other things. And the, you know, you kind of give them this this constant fear, and they're a little more ready for it. Even though it's got uh, the other ones, probably have false appearance as well. I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah, I think so. But like, you know, uh, just have them constantly looking up, but never, ever able to tell which one's going to drop, you know? And then when it drops and they think they're dealing with another dark mantle, boom, piercer, shit, what do I do? You know, something like that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Just playing into that that sense, yeah. Like the old 1E 10-foot pole, except for for the, the squares in front of you, it's for the stalactites in the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They got like a was it was it the robe with all the patches on it? What's that called? Uh, robe of many robe things. Of many things. Like yeah, yeah. They just like ripping off the ladder and just like tapping all of the, <laughs> all of the stalactites. <laughs> Quick, uh, get sorry. on the barbarian shoulders. Robe we need of useful more items is what it's called. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and one of those items is a ten foot pole. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> Give that early on. Uh, that's yeah, so right. That's such a cool <laughs> item. It is neat. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, pretty cool. Uh, Well, this truly was one of the shorter ones, wasn't it? Yeah, this might be our shortest episode yet. You know why? Because I didn't call it. (laughs) Oh. Every time I call it, we go for an hour. (laughs) There's also not a whole lot of changes to make to this creature to make it more... No. ...interesting. Yeah, as as unenthused as I am, I'm with you. I'm like, I don't really have any solid explanation for it. Give it I a, don't give really it a want to do attack. anything yeah. about it. Like I like the I like the idea mm. of the encounter that this thing presents, and that's the yeah. it's it's a different type of encounter. It's not just hey, you can see the goblins one one off. Like it's it it, it sets yeah. a tone early in a campaign, really early, like second yeah. session early. That it's not particularly deadly, but it's it's interesting mm. and it's unique. And setting I think setting that precedent for your players is very important because not everything can be solved. Uh, by you know, pure straightforward violence like this gives them a puzzle to solve, right. and I love that about encounters. That's one of my favorite things to give to you guys mm. as a group is is encounters that are puzzles, not encounters that are just brute force opposition, right? Uh, because yeah. you guys just handle yourselves when it comes to brute force <laughs> opposition. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Certainly, certainly good to have uh, both varieties in the game to break up monotony. But um, yeah, it's always it's always it's easy to forget sometimes that some of these creatures are are not designed for brute force at all. They are designed for uh, a flavorful moment or encounter. Yeah. And you know they're not designed for veteran players either. Like this character is not designed for somebody who's been playing D anD D for twenty years. Like, right. This is yeah. like most things in five E. This is a, this is an introductory character and I, or a creature. Mm-hmm. And I think it plays that role pretty well. Yeah. Cool. Well, neato. Well, if you like that, you want to hear uh, the piercer and the roper coming down the pipe from uh, Mr. Freeman Eiston, please uh, subscribe and get ready for that. If you like this very, very tight episode, (laughs) 
Uh, you can find us on patreon.com backslash encounter. This $5 a month gets you a handwritten thank you letter and access to the show notes. So you can see some of those fun octopus links and gifts that I threw in there. For $10 a month, you can suggest a creature. Maybe you want to get to know those Shatter Kai that we foreshadowed there. They are denizens of the Shadowfell and will be more than a little bit of work for us, which our uh, patrons love to do. Uh, if you just want to get a little shout out or you want to get a hold of us very quickly or, or briefly, you can find us on twitter.com or facebook.com at encounterpod or instagram.com for enc- at encounter.pod for any of those images that we talked about, including the anatomy of the uh, dark mantle. That's a really cool image that we'll definitely be making it up there. If you want to find any of our past episodes, or maybe you're listening to this in the future and you want to find those Pierce and Roper episodes, you can find all of them at encounterthis.ca, free, ad-free, easy to listen to, quick links. If you've got a hot second, we would really appreciate a rate and review. It really does mean the world to us, especially coming off of something as big as Orktober. That was probably, at least for me, the most intensive suite we've done so far. and We've had a, had a nice little bit yeah. of a break since then. Uh, but we have some big things planned for the new year. Maybe maybe a cool little suite in February. We've, we've, we're we're, we're kind of tossing around. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Gee, thanks. <laughs> I thought I had another Dark Mantle pun in me, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> I think we're just exhausted. I hope this was okay, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so full disclosure, we're coming off of uh, like a six-hour day of recording of our other brand new show that I don't know if we've announced on here. We may have announced it in the last episode. It is called Stemming the Tide. It is a production brought to you by our newly formed podcast network. Uh, that does not include the show. The show will remain standalone and free from that influence called The Uncharted North, which you can find at unchartednorth.ca or Stemming the Tide on any of your podcatchers. And it's a Pathfinder 2nd Edition actual play podcast, so... Yeah, that's probably important information. Pretty major reason why it's we're keeping it separate from this. Um, uh, there's a lot of relation to the content, but it's not not directly related enough. Uh, we want to keep this 5e forward and, and at the request of, of our uh, patrons and listeners um, uh, for other systems. But uh, yeah, if you feel like listening to a couple Canadians uh, roll some dice around and and uh, fumble their way through uh, a dark adventure, hit us up. Stemming the Tide. Yeah, and uh, Freeman is the game master for that one, so you can see what he really does as a GM instead of just getting to listen to some of the bullshit we put together. You can <laughs> you can actually get into what he's doing. Heck yeah! Thank you so, so much for listening. We hope you had a great time, and we promise um, better, bigger episodes than this in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a nice little tight one to get me through after our October, because I am yeah. still tired. Gotta have a brain break once in a while. For sure. <laughs> uh, but it was fun. I liked researching this creature, and uh, I think it's I think it's an interesting one. But if you've got any cool ways that you want to use it, please reach out to us on any of those social medias with any ideas you've got. Heck yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye.